Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. So what I'd like to do, as was brought out in the, the song portion, we are 26 days from the Feast of Trumpets, so two days less than four weeks away uh, from the Feast of Trumpets in the beginning of the Fall Holy Days. So I would like to start preparing for the Fall Festivals. Before I do, it seems, as we've been talking about seemingly all summer, about what is new this week. It used to be what's new this month, what's happened in the last six months. Now there are multiple things that happen every week that we should continue to focus on. For me personally, a couple of things came up this week, and you may have seen other things, and these certainly aren't the only two things, but a couple of things that I saw this week was, I believe it came out Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, and that's in here in Ontario, we are now on the backs of what's happening in the South, wanting to remove our first Prime Minister, John A. MacDonald, from all record of any historical buildings, monuments, statues, because of our newfound sensitivity to history. Uh, And again, rather than appreciate their sacrifices for freedom that we enjoy, and at the same time learning from their mistakes, because they're human beings that make mistakes, but they certainly served, uh, rather than do that, we simply want to erase all of the historical memories from us ourselves so that we can feel better about ourselves. And again, that seems to be what the penchant is these days, is feeling better about ourselves. The same thing seems to be going on, as we know, down south and all over the world, quite frankly, is this globalist agenda that we've come to know and study is further cemented into our godless culture that we're a part of. And this is part and parcel about why we keep the holy days. Uh, Another item that crossed my eyes this week and reading and this is mainstream media this isn't what could be considered alt-right or alt-left or whatever monikers that they, they talk about is the expansion of the lgbtq to now l and I've, i'm hearing after i'm discussing today with some people that it's actually more than that now but i saw this in media uh, lgbtq2s is now what they've expanded it to to being two-spirited which again comes from the native culture um, and this was in the mainstream Toronto papers, is that it's now being called LGBTQ, LGBTQ2S, where it incorporates the native connotation of two-spirited, where we all have within us, or those who have within us the masculine and feminine spirits. And again, it's going to be, it's going to continue to get crazy and expand to where we're going to be using up all of the alphabet and just have to, it'll be in a different order. Maybe it'll be QWERTY or like we see it on the, the keyboard. But anyway, it's important that we continue to discuss these things and keep each other uh, in the loop on these things because we are less than a month away from the beginning of the fall festival season. For me, it's, this will be my 41st keeping of the fall festivals, somewhere around 20 to 25. I guess 25 as a baptized member. But 41 years total, I came when I was five. And we were always told, as I was growing up, that we were to leave the world behind, become engrossed in the feast, lose yourself in the festival experience. 
leaving the world behind. But as the world continues to change, leaving the world behind is going to take on new meaning. It used to be, let's just leave our school or work, and let's go to the feast. And we left a peaceable life, maybe a bit of health issues, maybe a bit of school issues, maybe a bit of of, uh, work might be a little upset because I don't have vacation time. But now leaving the world behind is going to take on continuing change because the world we're coming, leaving now to go keep the feasts is a changing world, is a world full of all that we're seeing going on in the last number of years and heightening as we talked about, not just here, but all summer. So what I'd like to do is start preparing as a congregation now, four weeks ahead of time, to start getting our heads around the fall festivals by today taking a look at how God's people prepared for these days down through the years. And where I'd like to begin is in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. We won't go all the way back for purposes of this study, back to Leviticus or Genesis. We're going to come a little forward in time to the warnings that Isaiah had for Judah long before Judah, as we know, became captive to Babylon. And let's pick it up in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, where God, for the setting here, God says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So we see the beginning setting of Isaiah's prophecy here. And he's calling the two witnesses, heaven and earth, as witnesses here for against his children who have rebelled. So again, long before the punishment for Judah was about to begin, which was, was captivity first to Babylon, he is warning them, asking them to look at what's going on with their brothers, the northern kingdom, and acknowledge that they have rebelled. And what does he talk about first in, as he begins here in Isaiah talking about their rebellion. We're going to pick it up in verse 12 when he says, When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Your incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, plural, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. And your hands are full of blood. So these are a people, God's people, that have known what it means to what days to keep. And yet... In talking about their rebellion and how they've turned their backs on what it means to follow God, one of the first things he brings up is their worship of him in the Sabbaths and the Holy Days and all that they do. And while they're doing what it seems to be right on the outside, they're performing all of the functions according to the letters of the law. He's saying they're an abomination to me. I don't. I don't want to even. I don't even want to be associated with this. These are your feasts. These aren't. You're not keeping my feasts. You're doing all these little things, and you're having a fun time, and they're your feasts. 
dropping down to verse 18, again for time's sake, he says, come now and let us reason together. Come and let's begin a discussion, as we've heard. Let's talk about this. Because, as we know, this was written approximately a little less than 200 years before they would come into captivity with Babylon. God is saying there's still time to turn back. I'm, I'm not going to inflict the, this punishment, this ca- captive punishment yet. Let's reason together. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about what you think you're doing right versus what I see in your hearts and what you're really doing. Come, let's reason together. Though your sins are, are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. There's an opportunity here for your sins to be forgiven, for your sins to be removed. They are red like crimson. They shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Interesting here that what he talks about here as far as being obedient and coming back to him revolves around the worship system. Of all the things that they do, he's focusing on the Sabbaths and how they, how they worship him. And the first thing he mentions is their worship. When we consider the purpose of prophecy, and Isaiah is one of the foremost prophets, we see, when we understand it, as, as, as we've studied here, that it is a reminder, it's a warning, that God will always be true to his covenant. It's something we've heard and heard over and over and over again, but it's something that we can't forget, that God will always be true to his covenant. Because it must be that lighthouse. That's something that never moves. That we can, it's what we talked about here today. It's why we can have peace. Because when we come to understand, how can we have peace? Because God never changes. God is true to his covenant. If God, if I read it I, and God says it, I can, as long as I come to terms with that, I can have peace with God. Because I know what God expects. And as we read here, verses 18, 19, and 20, God is true to his covenant. If you do this, I will bless you if you listen. If you don't, you will suffer the consequences. We go right back to Deuteronomy 28 and and read that Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, and you can see those. God has never changed. His covenant has been consistent. What he expects of us is consistent. What he rewards or punishes us, us with, his people, is consistent. That covenant... And all that entails, as we know, and as we rehearse every year, is reflected in his worship system. And that's why we every year rehearse it. And as followers of God, we can't come to the point where it's on going. It's the feast again. I've got to get the feast off and got to grab my homework and got to make sure I have enough vacation time. We need to see this and what we're going to see here is it, it can't be, it can never get to the point where it was like this for the people of Judah here, where it was all about themselves and becoming an abomination to God. These are joyous times that we're about to, to partake of. Let's go to Isaiah 55 and look at what God says to his people here through Isaiah. about the future. 
and pointing to the time when, in part, has already been fulfilled with Christ coming and, and, and becoming the Lamb of God and opening the door to non-Israelites to come into Israel. Again, as we even sang a little bit about in the, the hymns today. Isaiah 55, verse 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you, have no, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your, your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. So there is physical nourishment and then there is spiritual nourishment. And we read, when I read this, I think of the passages in John that talk about the rivers of living water and the passages in Revelation that talk about the river that will flow to the tree of life again. And we see God through the pen of Isaiah pointing to these times when all will partake, all will have an opportunity to partake of the covenant and become part of Israel, become an Israelite. Remembering that Israel means one who prevails with God. We win by by walking God's way, by going his way. Dropping down in chapter 56, we see Isaiah talking, God through Isaiah here, talking about the time when the covenant will be opened up to non-Israelites. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me. So we see Sabbaths, plural, referring to the Sabbath and the, and, the, and the high Sabbaths. And choose what pleases me. We want to prevail with God. We, want to, we must do things his way. We choose what pleases him. And that's, remember what we read way back in Isaiah. You, these are your feasts. You do what you want and they become your feasts. Rather than, as we are reading here, to to prevail with God here means to choose what pleases him and hold fast my covenant. God's covenant is sureness. Again, nothing we haven't studied many, many times before. Even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So all people will have an opportunity to come into the covenant God has with Israel if they adopt his worship system. It all, all falls around adopting his worship system because it starts there. How we treat God reflects what, what, what we have in our hearts, what we reflect where we are in our walk with him. And that's where he took them to task at the beginning of this prophecy by saying, your feast days, are, they're yours. You're not keeping them the way I want you to keep them. Your heart is not in the right place. But here, even non-Israelites who choose to be part of the covenant, if they follow God and worship him, will have a name that shall never be cut off. They will become part of Israel. When we worship, it's critical to being part of the covenant. It specifically says, keep my Sabbaths. Not keep, not make up your own days. Let's, let's as, as they, uh, Jeroboam did, let's make it the eighth month. It's a little more convenient. We'll call it this. And... As long as, we, as long as we call it a rose by any other, other name shall smell as sweet. Not, not to God. 
His days are his days, and when we keep them are important. So in 26 days, the, the fall festivals will start, and that's very important. On the Thursday, September 21st, Wednesday evening at sunset, the Feast of Trumpets is going to be here. Let's go to Ezekiel 40. So when we worship is critical. And every year we have an opportunity to rehearse these same days. So approximately 200 years later, we're now fast-forwarding to the time that Isaiah, God, through Isaiah, was foretelling. Judah is now in captivity to Babylon. Ezekiel, one of the priests at that time that was writing in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this captivity, in the midst of these fulfilled prophecies that God gave to Isaiah. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Uh, first one, in the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year, after the city, so Ezekiel 40, verse, verse 1, after the city was captured, on the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. And the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. On it toward the south was something like the structure of a city. He took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. He had a, a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. So, again, we know Ezekiel. God gave him visions. Here's a new vision that God was giving him. And the man said to me, verse 4, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. So here's a vision. I'm going to show you this vision. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell all of God's people, the entire house of Israel, what you see. Tell them what you see. And then what he does, we, won't have time, we don't have time here to go through it in detail, but as you flip through chapter 40, Chapter 41, for those of you who have, have uh, headings over top of the verses, what you see here is God's reminding them how to worship. He talks, about, he talks here about the, the building of the temple, the outer courts, what the, the dimensions of how to, how to rebuild the temple. The... The different here in chapter 42, the heading here is the chambers for the priests. So where the, the, where the, the priests were to be inside the temple. The, what it, what, how to build the altar. Again, reminding us all stuff that, 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 that uh, was given to Solomon when Solomon helped build the temple. But immediately here when he says, tell them everything you see. I'm giving you a vision. Tell them what you see. He was telling them how to build the temple. And then dropping down to chapter 46 is where we'll go, we'll go next. Actually, chapter 45, verse 18. What he's showing them here, not just when to worship. We, we saw that in Isaiah. It was important to understand when to worship and that when to worship is important. But now he's, he's telling them through Ezekiel here how to worship. 
here's how you are to worship me. Because obviously, over time and neglect, they have forgotten. So once we know when, it is now how God expects us to worship. And that's what he was revealing here to Ezekiel. Chapter 45, verse 18. Thus says the Lord God, in the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. And again, for time's sake, we're not going to, to read this. You can read that for yourself. Let's drop down to verse 25. In the seventh month, so we've got the first month. Now we have the seventh month, which we know from Leviticus 23. These are the two major months uh, when the festivals occur. Obviously, in the middle is, is the Feast of Pentecost. But the first month is one of the, 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 the key points in the seventh month. In the seventh month, on the 15th day of the month, at the feast, he shall do likewise for seven days, according to the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain, grain offering, and the oil. So once I show you how to worship, chapter 46, verse 9, let's just for time's sake cut down to verse 9. But when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters by way of the north gate, worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. So these are, as we know, again, nothing new, nothing we haven't read before all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. These are appointed times. These are times that God from the beginning of creation has said, these are my days and you shall keep them at this time. So we determine how to worship and we determine when to worship. All of this discussion that God here is talking about obedience and being part of his covenant is all focused around worship. And again, we've covered this time and again over the years, but every year we get an opportunity to rehearse it again. And we can't become bored by that. We can't become ho-hum. We can't become, oh, it's just another opportunity to go to the feast. Because what we'll see here is every time God's people forget, they go through tragedy. So that God reminds them and has to bring them back. And he focuses them always on worship. When do you worship me and how do you worship me? Because when and how matters. When and how matters. Then once we determine when and how, God tells us why. Don't just do it to do it, because then it becomes, by rote, it becomes just a, a habit. We need to understand why. And that's chapter 47 where that comes in. Let's go to chapter Ezekiel 47. I'm telling you when, I'm telling you how. So once we have that down, now, let me, now let's come together and reason, and let me tell you why. Then he brought me back, verse 1, chapter 47, to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through, and the water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. So God is walking him through this, this vision. 
of this river. When I returned there, along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. And now he's explaining to his people who have gone through this cycle of disobedience and cycle of persecution and cycle of forgetting what it means to worship, that what it really means to worship God when he wants us to worship and how he wants us to worship is the opportunity to live, to live, as we heard today, live in peace, live a peaceable, peaceful life the way God has always designed it to be. So that you may be healed and everyone who follows me, everyone who follows me, the way I've dictated, will live and will have healthy, happy, content, peaceful lives. We, when you think about it, have actually had it very, very easy. Think back over the course of your time keeping the faith. It hasn't been without trial, but it hasn't been like this. It hasn't been the way many of God's people have kept it throughout history. And as long as I've lived, I can't say it's been very hard. It's been, it's been pretty easy. Any concerns I've had have been around perhaps an exam or two that were pretty tight, tight towards, towards uh, the feast. We all generally have good vacation times unless you're in business for yourself, but you plan for that. It's, we live very easy, peaceful. It's kind of easy to keep the feast these days. Freedom to move, think about where we keep it. Think about how easy it is to keep the feast. Freedom to move, freedom to worship. We gather in comfort. We go to nice hotels. Even, even a mid-range hotel is still really, really nice when you consider what, what people have done here. We here, and in, in, the, in the course of, of, for me, 40 years of keeping the feast, we gather and hear nice words about what it's going to mean to keep the kingdom of God. The desert shall be like the rose. We will uh, gather on the holy highways. We, we become like the bride of Christ. All good, and all things that we need to continue to rehearse. We go to, quite frankly, posh hotels. There's various levels of posh, but we go to nice hotels. We live and worship in luxury for days, for eight days. It hasn't always been that way. Let's go to Ezra, chapter 1. We'll move forward a few decades. And see how God's people... We're coming along. We've saw Isaiah writing to them a couple of hundred years before their captivity. We saw Ezekiel writing to them during their captivity. Let's go a few decades in the future. First one of Isaiah one, or Ezra one, sorry. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So Ezra 1, verse 1. 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So as we see Ezra here starting to write, we see what was amounts to and was fulfilled a prophecy. We know God promised Judah that despite this, this captivity to Babylon, he was going to raise up Cyrus. He was going to rescue them through this, this king of Persia named Cyrus. But this was still a strange turn of events. This was They had lived for 80 years in captivity. They had been, even up to the, the decades before that, they were harassed and, was, and the, were being punished by God through the Babylonians. But now there's this strange turn of events where this new empire is now helping them out. You can imagine... Think of, think of today what that would be like. And the government of Canada, Justin Trudeau, saying, okay, we're going to honor the Feast of Tabernacles. And anyone who keeps the Feast of Tabernacles, you're not going to have to use your vacation time for that. We're going to give that to you. You're going to be paid, and it's going to be gratis. Because although I don't believe in him, because here you saw Cyrus say it's his God. He didn't say my God. He said his God. So now... Justin Trudeau says, you can have these days off, and when there's no charge, you're going to be paid, and we're not even going to tax you on that, that salary for that time. I mean, well, hang on a second. So you can, see what, you can see the people of Judah, this is a, while, it, while it was fulfilled prophecy, this is a bit of a strange turn of events. They hadn't experienced this in 80 to 100 years and likely before that. Verse 5. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Again, first thing they did was look after worship. They were allowed to come back, even as, as odd and eerie and, and strange as this might be, God is, our, our captors are writing us a check and telling us to go and build the temple. We need to build the temple. This was, we need to look after worship. Verse 6, And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles and silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. So the first thing we must do is worship. Because God has always outlined worship first. We must always know when and how to worship and why. And they were being encouraged to do so. Chapter 3. Let's go to chapter 3. Verse 1. And when the seventh month had come. So now the seventh month again. This is where we're about to embark on. It's, it's the fourth day of the sixth month. We've got 
26 days to the beginning of month 7. And the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Joshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So the seventh month is here. The temple's not built yet, but we're going to build an altar so we can at least worship God as best we can and follow his commands. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by the ordinance for each day. Though fear had come upon them. So they were still in a state of fear. If we jump forward to Ezra 4, we see why. Because Cyrus was protecting them here. Cyrus was giving them uh, freedom to go back to their land, to rebuild, to worship their God. But we've got the Samaritans here who were, were the product of an intermingling of the northern kingdom with foreigners. When the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Ezarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land, those, those in part Samaritans, tried to discourage the people of Judah. The Cyrus and the, the, the king of Persia and, and, the, and those folks, they were encouraging them. They were giving them... They were giving them funds to do this. The people were trying to keep each other encouraged, but they were being harassed by others around them to to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose of of all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So when we go back to to chapter 3, they are now free to, to worship, but even in their freedom to worship with with the the leader of that empire, there was still harassment and discouragement around them. And yet, despite that fear, what we see in verse 3 there of chapter 3, though fear had come upon them, they were going to worship anyways. We're going to build the altar, and despite our fear, we're going to build. And they worshipped anyways. Let's continue in chapter. So we came to chapter or verse four, verse five. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering, those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple had not been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So they were moving forward despite their fear, despite the, while they had, um, while they had government-sanctioned freedom to build, there was still harassment going on from within the ranks and from around them. 
yet they had a common purpose. They were, they were coming together unified with, the, with the, the, not just to worship, but to build the altar, to build the temple, a communal focus on Yahweh, the God of Israel. And keep in mind, these were the, the, the parents, the grandparents that were part of here, they would have heard the prophecies of Jeremiah. They would have heard the prophecies of Ezekiel. If not their grandparents, maybe their great-grandparents, down through the years this would have been passed on. They would have heard the teaching of Isaiah that would have been passed down from a couple of centuries before that. Let's now go to Nehemiah 1 and go a few, even a few decades further on down the line. Nehemiah 1. Always, 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 their first focus was worship. And that focused around the Sabbaths, the annual Sabbaths and the weekly Sabbath. Nehemiah 1. We'll pick it up. We'll start in verse 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. We learn a lot just from that introductory salutation to the Father. You keep covenant. And you're not, a, you're not an, an ogre who just keeps covenant. Your covenant is spread through mercy. This is about his mercy. And it's focused on what we heard talked about here in the, in the sermon in our after sermon discussion. Those who love you, true love, true agape love, and observe your commandments. So there's, a, there's an onus on God's people to observe the commandments, which include the Sabbaths. Please let your ear be attentive, he continues in verse 6, and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. Not much further down the line from when Cyrus allowed them to come back in. And Nehemiah here is realizing, you know what? We've slipped. We've allowed, we, we've, in a few decades, we've slipped. And much like Noel when he was saying, I, I, I thought I was a decent enough guy. I'm not evil. But we're either for God over against God. There's no, there's no gray middle ground. And here he's saying, we haven't kept your commandments. We haven't kept your statutes, nor the ordinance of its ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. What does that remind you of? It reminds you of coming to where God places his name. And God will gather. When we do and keep his commandments, we see here God who keeps covenant. And Nehemiah is saying, but we have strayed. And part of the straying has to do with not following his commandments, and as we've seen through history, part of what part and parcel of those commandments that they don't keep is properly following the worship system. And as we just read, we will we will let's do 
let's follow the commandments. Let's, and as he said here, if you return and keep my commandments and do them. So keep the commandments and do them. He will gather them to the place which I have chosen. This includes the Moed, the holy days. They stopped gathering where God had placed his name. They stopped gathering where God had placed his name. The land of Israel was part of the covenant, as we know, and as we've studied, the land of Israel was part of the covenant promise where God would be for his people. So they were given a task that brought them together in rebuilding the walls in the city where God had placed his name. And the first thing they did upon the completion of the wall, let's go to Ezra 8, or Nehemiah 8. The first thing they did when the walls were completed was keep the feast. Chapter 8, well, I guess the last, last half of the last verse of chapter 7. When the seventh month came of Nehemiah 8, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all of the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They gathered from morning until midday. Their their eyes weren't on their watch going, okay, the sermon's been long enough. Uh, It's been 45. Uh, We've got places to go. There's a meal to eat. There's some fun we got to have. They gathered from morning until midday. And Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood. This is just as much work for Ezra as it was for the people. He was standing on a platform of wood. We try to have, for our speakers, we try to have it a little more comfortable, maybe a mat, something to to cushion, wear some some, some soft-soled shoes. Anyone who stands and works for a living, you, they, you know, for ergonomics, you try to have this uh, cushioned pad. Here Ezra stood on a platform of wood from morning until midday, reading the law of God. And beside him, at his right hand, stood, again, stood, not easy to do in the, the heat and the, the for this long period of time. We won't go through their names, uh, but you, you see their list of names. We'll come to them a little bit later. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened, when he opened it, all the people stood up. So they were sitting for a while, and then they stood when the book of the law was met. Can you imagine what would happen at the feast if we say, okay, for the sermon, everybody stand. Everybody stand. I'm not sure sure how many we would have the next day. But here, from morning until midday, they stood to hear the law of God read. And they were excited and grateful for it. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then those same folks that were helping Ezra helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their the people stood in their place. So the law was read, and then what looks to be is they look to be maybe breakout in small groups, led by some of these folks, 
And they continued to stand, and they talked about it. So half the day spent listening to it, and then continuing on after that in small groups, talking about it, learning to understand, and having it explained, and, and much like we do, much like we do here. Here, we get nice, comfortable chairs to sit around and have an after-sermon discussion. Imagine if we were to stand for the service and then come and not eat. We can't get to the coffee yet, but now stand around in, in our small group and continue to talk. And these, these folks were excited. They, they, they were so excited about this. And Nehemiah, verse 9, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were so overcome with emotion when they heard the law of God being read. And then we can, for time's sake, we won't. You can, read, you can read the rest of the account there. But let's start down to verse 13. So we see them. They've already split into small groups. They've, they've, they've now gone their way. They did have a bit of food and, and some physical enjoyment and nourishment. Now on the second day, the second day, when we would normally go back to work and head back and, and have atonement in, uh, about uh, nine days down the line, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. So they came back for more. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house in their courtyards or in the courts of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. And the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. And there was, they could not get enough of this. They were so overjoyed to, to hear the word of God and realize all that they could do. So once they hear this on the first day, what do we do? We gather together and we follow his commands together to worship. And that means building booths and then hearing more of the law and a little bit of eating, a little bit of, of, of drinking sweet stuff, as it, as it says back earlier than that, and then continuing to hear the word of God be read and explained. We have been so blessed, as, as I'm sure we can't deny, to keep the feast in peace, to to take our time off, to go up to a hotel, to enter into a comfy bed and pack our things and go to a restaurant and have folks uh, wait on us hand and foot in wealth and comfort. And often with as much, and nothing wrong with this, with as much time focused on the physical as on the spiritual, as, as we were planning the feast this year, and we're trying to do a proper balance of some fun, some education, enough time for worship, and doing a proper balance. Here, they just couldn't get enough. They could, it was till midday. Let's come back tomorrow. We'll hear more of the Word of God read. Imagine if we planned our if the feast we're planning involved this. Imagine, imagine, imagine what we would 
what we've done. You know what? We, there's no rooms. We're just going to go out there and we're going to make our own boots. And we're going to make tents out of this set of sticks. We're going to do that for the next two or three weeks. And then we'll be ready to come together. And we'll just listen to the word of God read for half a day. And then we'll gather and talk about it afterwards. And this was done amidst fear, in times of persecution, in times when uh, just coming out of persecution. Look at how society has changed for us over the last 15, 20, 30 years. And, and we talk, we continue to talk about, about where our society is going. We come together every week. We put it in the bulletin. We talk about it afterwards, a combination of Islam, a combination of Marxism, a combination of, of, of society and just where we are. And, and what it means to be a Christian and, and where we foresee Christianity going and the troubles that we're going to have, even the fact that we can still peaceably gather here on a Sabbath when who knows down the road where we'll be gathered and it's coming where we're, we don't know when, whether it'll, whether it'll be us or our children, but it's coming to where we're going to have to gather in homes. We were talking about earlier, maybe code names. We won't be able to call each other, but so who knows what it's going to be. But it will be it will be where we will be gathering gathering in homes, because Christianity will be is coming to be a crime. It will it will come to the point where Christianity will be a crime. Then how do we keep the feast? Then how excited will we will we be to keep the feast? When we think of how where our society has gone and where it's going to continue to go when we read the book of Revelation, We would best be served going back and reading these examples of God's people who kept the feast amidst persecution, amidst, amidst fear, as we, as we read. And appreciate the fact that today we can gather in peace. Today we can gather in comfort. But let's not lose sight of the fact about why we're keeping the feast and that it is all about learning to worship God. And as we heard, talked about uh, in the sermon today, what true peace is, is whatever comes will come, and I will continue to follow God no matter what. Let's go to Second Timothy 4. Second Timothy 4. As Paul was winding down his life, his last letter, his last letter in the canon, chronologically, to his his protege, Timothy. And again, on the heels of perilous times will come in chapter 3, which while applicable definitely during their time because of what was coming in AD 70, is also applicable in, in the end time. So let's focus on, on, on that. Verse 1, I charge you therefore, 2 Timothy 4, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Again, these, what we're talking about here, these seasons. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and do so with long-suffering and teaching. Talking again to Timothy as a as a as an elder, as a teacher of God, to always be ready, always be teaching truth, and do it timely when it's required in season, like at, at during the, the, the specific uh, times of annual worship, and out of season. 
and do so convincing, rebuking when necessary, exhorting when necessary, but do so with patience and do so with an attitude to teach. For the time will come, this is to God's people, and we haven't seen it yet, but what we read here, whenever that is, and think about what we've read in the, the history here of God's people in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, and again, tie this in with what we heard today in the sermon about peace and understanding that what it means to, to have true godly peace, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Because there's stuff that's coming that, you know what, I don't want to hear this anymore. I, I, I'm tired of hearing that it's going to be bad. I'm tired of hearing what this is going to be like. I'm tired of hearing that I've got to pull up my socks and get, get right with God and make sure I stay right with God. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Again, I'm just reading the text and reading what, what we see here. I don't like what I'm hearing here, so I'm going to go over here to where it's, I like this a little better. This is a little, little easier to take. I want to go to the feast and not hear the word of God preached for six hours and then and stand from morning till midday. I want to go where it's a nice 20 to 30 minute message that's, that's kind of nice. I don't, it's no pressure. And then we're going to go and go down and have some drinks and, and ease. So I'm going to go to this feast. I like this feast better. I like this group better. Or this minister or these leaders for they have itching ears where they heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, enduring afflictions, and doing the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I don't know when that time will come, but as we have opportunity each year to keep the feast in peace, it is now that we must continue to focus on the spiritual aspects of the feast and be so appreciative that again this year and get ramped up and excited for the feast. I don't know how many you've kept, but it would be easy if we're not at complete peace, if we don't understand what true peace is and true love is. Oh, i got to get... I don't have time to keep the fair. I'm going to have to go to the feast again this year. There will come a time when, it, when it'll be easy to just go, I don't have time for the feast. Uh, you know what, my family doesn't like this, I'm going to be loose friends, I might lose my job. We talked in the past about losing your job for the feast. It's going to come a time where you will lose your job for the feast because you, can't, you will not be able to be a Christian and publicly be a Christian. I don't know when that is, um, but it, 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 it's, the time is coming as, as we read here. How grateful are we for the knowledge of the plan of God as pictured by his holy days? Is it just, it can't just be another feast. Uh, you know, it's Collingwood. It's not, it's not Jamaica. It's not Myrtle Beach. It's not Florida. It's just Collingwood. It's, it's going to be cold and rainy. Um, my, all my friends aren't going to be there. No, we need to, wherever you go, we need to appreciate and be ramped up that the feast, in 26 days, the feasts of God are going to start. And we are so blessed and so privileged to be able to keep those. And, and get excited about this and realize that that we know the plan of God and it has been made manifest to us and of all the people in that you deal with 
whether it's your work, your school, your business, God's revealed his holy days to you, and you get to keep the feast. And nobody else does. You'd gladly bring them along, but they don't want to hear. But we get to keep the feast. That's how we must see it. And there will come a time when we will want to keep the feast. And you know what? We may have to keep it in our basements. We may have to gather somewhere and go, okay, we're going to have to try to do this on the quiet because we'll get killed or whatever it is. Much like some of these folks here that we read about did it in fear. But you know what? Even in fear, we're going to do it anyways. Like we talked about with Christ being a little, having his, his humanity and his, as we talked about in the after sermon discussion. Let's go to Revelation 1. And we're just going to wind down here, Revelation 1. The fact that we know about God's holy days should be something that gets us ramped up every year. The first month of the year leading into Pentecost and the seventh month of the year, these are high times for us. And that we are so blessed to be able to keep these. Much of the events that we're going to be keeping are described here for us, the fulfillment are described here for us in the following pages in Revelation, which for a small plug will be talked about in the coming Bible studies starting next Wednesday. The revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent it, signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. How blessed we are to be able to keep the feast, to know what is coming, to go and hear God's word expounded for however long it's going to be expounded, and to hear those things and to keep them. We are so, so, so blessed. People have given their lives for you have an opportunity to go and keep the feast. And to hear these words expounded. And to know in advance what is coming. Contrast what we've just read to what we read back in Second Timothy 4. About, I don't want to hear this. This is, this is, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose who I listen to, when I listen to it. Because, you know, this is kind of, I don't want to hear this stuff. God says here, there's stuff coming. but It is so awesome. I'm going to let you know it's a little bit of tough times beforehand. But you get, to, you get to keep these feasts, and you get, to, you get to see their fulfillment happen, and you are so, so, so blessed to be able to do that. And compare what we read in Second Timothy to those who kept these days in, the persecu- in, in persecuted circumstances, as we read earlier. And they couldn't get enough of it. They just stand all day. Just speak the word of God to me all day. You know what? I can't sit for this. I'm going to have to stand up. I'm going to have to, because if you're going to stand on, on hardwood, I'm going to stand up there with you, and I'm going to hear you preach and read God's, God's word to me. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So again, another prophecy, and we've read prophecies in Isaiah, in, in uh, Ezekiel, back in Ezra and Nehemiah, some of the historical, historical readings there, and they always start out with worship. They always start out with worship. Let's see how, how, the revel, how Revelation starts here. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. We have just read the gospel as explained through the holy days, introduced to us in this prophecy. We see here his own, who, who, who washed us from our sins in, in his own blood, Passover. The firstborn from the dead that links us into the Feast of Pentecost. And then behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. That's the fall holy days. So again, we see the worship system, the gospel explained through the worship system at the beginning of, of this prophetic book. And we, are, and, we get to, we, and we understand it, and we get to do it again this year. Not again this year, but we get to do it again this year. And we're going to do it next year, and we're going to do it next year. It might not be in Collingwood next year. It might be here if we have to, or it might be in my basement. But we're going to do it as long as we, get, as long as we have opportunity, as long as we have breath at breath, we will do this. And as we wind down here, let's go to Revelation 22 to close. We read, as you're turning there, I'll remind you what we read. So go to Revelation 22. We read chapter 1, verse 3, that said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. So blessed is he who keeps those things. Revelation 22, where we'll close. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. He starts out by telling us to keep them. He finishes by telling us to do them. When you look at the the Greek words, keep has a connotation. It means to keep, to guard, to observe, or to watch over. So protect. Do, obviously, means to act and exercise and to perform. It's almost like he's saying to preserve, protect, and defend the word of God. That is our, that is our duty. That is our duty, to preserve, protect, and defend the word of God. It's been easy. It's been easy for a long, long, long time. Not for everybody. It's been hard for some people. For us, our generation, and, and generations in the, the 20th century, it's been easy. But it's not always going to be easy. This year, it's going to be easy again. It's not going to be hard. But while it's easy, let's be joyous about this. Let's, let's appreciate the opportunity we're going to have to keep and do the commandments of God. That's it. <laughs> um, questions, thoughts? Are, we, are you excited about keeping the feast? I know we still have some planning to do. I'll come later. Yeah, if not now, we come back next week and talk a little bit about it. Um, the what are your thoughts on Revelation one four to seven that we just read? Because that came to me as I was talking there. I thought that wasn't uh, wasn't in my notes. So um, 
the feast days, the, the gospel being completely explained through the spring days up to Pentecost and to the fall days, um, talking about uh, his own blood, the firstborn, coming with clouds. It's like he's got the entire gospel message wrapped up in three verses and all bounced off of the, the, the holy days. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.